Welcome to Epically Creepy Storytime. I am your host for tonight, Fitzgerald the Freak Show. You're probably wondering why they call me that. Maybe you'll find out for yourself. <laughs> Sorry's condition makes me laugh. It, uh, basically all the time. It's good, though. I like it. It's fun. Great parties. The Epic Briefs crew is a bit, uh, tied up at the moment. Uh, so I will be your guide. We have some terrifying tales from some very talented writers narrated by ghoulish guests. Let us begin, shall we? The Wendigo, adapted from a version from Professor Edward M. Ives of the University of Maine, narrated by Sarah Newman. A wealthy man wanted to go hunting in a part of northern Canada where few people had ever hunted. He traveled to a trading post and tried to find a guide to take him, but no one would do it. It was too dangerous, they said. Finally, he found an Indian who needed money badly, and he agreed to take him. The Indian's name was Defago. They made camp in the snow near a large frozen lake. For three days they hunted, but they had nothing to show for it. The third night, a windstorm came up. They lay in their tent listening to the wind howling and the trees whipping back and forth. To see the storm better, the hunter opened up the tent flap. What he saw startled him. There wasn't a breath of air stirring, and the trees were standing perfectly still. Yet he could hear the wind howling. And the more he listened, the more it sounded as if it were calling DeFago's name. Defago, it called. Defago. I must be losing my mind, the hunter thought. But Defago had gotten out of his sleeping bag. He was huddled in a corner of the tent, his head buried in his arms. What's this all about? the hunter asked. It's nothing, DeVago said. But the wind continued to call him, and DeVago became more tense and more restless. DeVago, it called. DeVago. Suddenly, he jumped to his feet and he began to run from the tent. But the hunter grabbed him and wrestled him to the ground. You can't leave me out here, the hunter shouted. The wind called again and Defago broke loose and ran into the darkness. The hunter could hear him screaming as he went. Again and again he cried, Oh, my fiery feet, my burning feet of fire. Then his voice faded away and the wind died down. At daybreak, the hunter followed Defago's tracks in the snow. They went through the woods, down toward the lake, and then out to the ice. But soon he noticed something strange. The steps DeFago had taken got longer and longer. They were so long no human being could have taken them. 
It was as if something had helped him to hurry away. The hunter followed the tracks out to the middle of the lake, but there they disappeared. At first he thought that Defago had fallen through the ice, but there wasn't any hole. Then he thought that something had pulled him off of the ice into the sky, but that made no sense. As he stood wondering what had happened, the wind picked up again. Soon it was howling as it had the night before. Then he heard Defago's voice. It was coming from up above, and again he heard Defago screaming, My fiery feet! My burning feet! But there was nothing to be seen. Now, the hunter wanted to leave that place as fast as he could. He went back to camp and packed. Then he left some food for Defago and he started out. Weeks later, he reached civilization. The following year, he went back to hunt in the area again. He went to the same trading post to look for a guide. The people there could not explain what had happened to Tefago that night, but they had not seen him since then. Maybe it was the Wendigo, one of them said, and he laughed. It's supposed to come with the wind. It drags you along at a great speed until your feet are burned away and more of you than that. Then it carries you into the sky and it drops you. It's just a crazy story, but that's what some of the Indians say. A few days later, the hunter was at the trading post again. An Indian came in and sat by the fire. He had a blanket wrapped around him, and he wore his hat so that you couldn't see his face. The hunter thought there was something familiar about him. He walked over and he asked, Are you Defago? The Indian didn't answer. Do you know anything about him? No answer. He began to wonder if something was wrong, if the man needed help, but he couldn't see his face. Are you all right? He asked. No answer. To get a look at him, he lifted the Indian's hat. Then he screamed. There was nothing under the hat but a pile of ashes. Birthday Girl by Gosha underscore 293. Narrated by Audrey Batumbakal. Good morning, sunshine. Time to wake up. I open my eyes and see Nurse Judy, ready to give me my morning injection. I sit on the bed and roll up my pajama sleeve. I feel the needle under my skin and the medication flowing inside my veins. The nurse gives me a wide smile. Good girl, you can go to the canteen now and have breakfast with your friends. Friends. I don't have friends here. My friends are almost 60 miles away from me, enjoying life, learning new stuff, making out at parties, certainly not spending their youth in a psychiatric ward. My parents put me there. It was after another anxiety attack at school. I lost control and tried to do something stupid. Now everything seems stupid to me. I pass by Nutsy Nora's room. Her yelling is impossible to ignore. She keeps screaming, Kelly and Jenna, over and over again. Whatever these names mean. I see two doctors rushing to her room with a set of tranquilizers. This place is full of people like her. 
I don't think I belong here. I enter the canteen and hear a loud surprise. I look around and see other patients gathered around a cake with number candles one and seven and an inscription, happy birthday Robin. Right, it's my 17th birthday. Yay, I totally forgot. I force myself to smile and blow the candles. The cake tastes like soap or a cough syrup. I hide both candles in my pocket when nobody's watching. I guess it's the only gift I can count on today. I stop one of the nurses on the way back to the room. I ask if my parents are going to see me. She shrugs and walks away without saying a word. Bitch. As I lay in bed, I stretch my arms and look at my hands. They look so weird. So damn weird. Maybe it's a side effect of one of those medications? Nurse Judy interrupts my contemplation. She storms in with an afternoon dosage of pills. How are you feeling, my dear? Did you like the birthday surprise? She asks with that annoyingly sweet smile. Yeah, I forget today's the day. She takes my hand and says, oh, don't worry, darling. It happens to everybody. As she holds my hand, I ask her why my skin looks so strange. Nurse Judy gives me a sympathetic gaze. I think it's normal at your age, don't you think so, sweetie? Is she trying to make a fool of me? Oh, I've had enough. But I'm 17, I say imploringly. I don't know any other teenager with hands like these. Just look. I take the candles out of my pocket and almost rub them in her face. You see? One and seven. Seventeen, I bellow. Judy gently takes the candles from my shaking hands. Robin, it's not seventeen. Let me show you the right order. It's seven and one. Seventy-one. Blinding Light by Jamie Peters, narrated by Jamie Peters. Sitting in silence, that's all I can do. I'm sitting here just waiting for it to come back and devour me too. I can't move, I can't see, I'm just sitting in terror, frozen. It wasn't supposed to go down like this. This type of thing doesn't happen in real life, only in the movies, right? At this point, I'm shaking and scared. My mascara is smeared across my face from crying. Bad thoughts are creeping in. I feel like I'm dying. Is it coming back, or did it leave me here to rot? Should I run for it? Can I even find the strength to walk? I've thought about this type of moment before, like how I would handle it. And just as I thought, I'm not handling it at all. I've often imagined myself in an apocalypse-type scenario, and the truth is, I'm just not a survivor. Okay, pull yourself together already. My thoughts go silent as I hear a loud screeching noise just outside. It's back. I cower in the corner. This is the end, I'm going to die. Then a voice at the back of my head. Are you seriously going to die without even trying to fight? My inner voice is infuriated and offended. I scramble to my feet as the noise gets closer, searching for something to fight with. Just as it enters the dark area, my hand finds something sharp and grabs hold. I stand firm as the darkness looms closer. I can't see anything. I can just feel it. The room gets colder as I feel it get closer to me. Just as it gets in front of me, I jab at the darkness with my weapon and nothing. That can't be. I can feel it so close. 
I frantically swing at the area in front of me, trying to do damage to this creature again and again, nothing. I'm getting tired as I keep thrashing at the dark presence that I feel around me. My heart is pounding, my mind is reeling. I don't understand. Then out of nowhere, the room illuminates with a bright light. It's blinding. Where did it go? I can't see anything. I'm starting to lose it. It's going to eat me. In the midst of my confusion, I realize that the room has gotten very warm. I still can't see anything, just the blinding light. I'm still grasping the sharp weapons. I start stabbing towards the blinding light, but still nothing. Time feels as though it's stretched on for hours. I have no idea how long it's been at this point. I try to quiet my thoughts, see if I can hear anything. It's just silent in the blinding light. I am surrounded by amateurs. We saw something we can't explain by Madmaster71, narrated by Anita McGee. About a year ago, I was out back with my family. It was around eight and the sun was setting. We lived in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. The closest neighbor was far away. Something down the field kept catching my eye, but I ignored it at first. My sister saw it too and kept looking out towards the trees. She was getting freaked out about it. My mom said to go investigate, so me and my sister started to walk across the field towards the tree line. Big mistake. It's hard for me to describe. This was the most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me. I didn't see it at first, and I didn't understand why my sister was so scared until we were about 100 yards away. When I saw this creature, tall, probably eight or nine feet, white, humanoid with an elongated head and no face. It had long arms and peeked around the trees. We stopped in our tracks. We couldn't tell what it was. It took a few steps further out of the trees and swayed back and forth at me like a praying mantis. Me and my sister ran screaming back to the house where my mom stood, jaw dropped. She saw it too. I had never been so scared in my life. We grabbed the binoculars and watched this terrifying creature peek in and out in and out of the tree line, spying on us. My grandma thought we all had a wild imagination. The sun was almost gone now and it was getting really dark and the darker it got, the more it moved back and forth, back and forth along the trees. It was terrifying. So we went in for the night and locked everything up tight. I couldn't sleep that night. I was hearing scratching on the roof and at one point a very loud bang and various noises coming from the barn. I was very afraid that I would wake up to my animals missing. The next morning, my grandma asked if we had heard that loud bang outside that night. She ended up taking my grandpa with her on her morning walk. I have no idea what it was and it haunts me to this day.
A Message from Your Personal Demons by Mr. Garm. Narrated by Kevin Ward. Hello, my dear. You don't know who I am, but I know you. I am one of the three demons that were assigned to you at birth. You see, some people in this world are destined for greatness, destined to live happy, fulfilling lives. You, I am afraid, are not one of those people, and it is our job to make sure of that. Who are we? Oh, yes, of course, how rude of me. Allow me to introduce us. Shame is my younger brother, the demon on your left shoulder. Shame tells you that you're a freak, that those thoughts you have are not normal, that you will never fit in. Shame whispered into your ear when your mother found you playing with yourself as a child. Shame is the one who makes you hate yourself. Fear sits on your right shoulder. He is my older brother, as old as life itself. Fear fills every dark corner with monsters, turns every stranger on a dark street into a murderer. Fear stops you from telling your crush how you feel. He tells you... It's better not to try than to let people see you fail. Fear makes you build your own prison. Who am I, then? Why, I am the worst of your demons, but you, you see me as a friend. You turn to me when you have nothing else, because I live in your heart. I am the one who forces you to endure, the one who prolongs your torment. Sincerely, Hope. The Brave Ones by Scary Max. Narrated by... Chandra Rysak. Here they come again, the brave ones. Another Halloween night, and the kids are back, here to prove their fearlessness. The old house's floorboards creak beneath their sneakers. Only half an hour until midnight, so I have to work fast. I start with their flashlight, blowing lightly against it so that it flickers, but this inspires little more than a nervous giggle. Fifteen minutes until midnight. Time to take things up a notch. I hover up to the ceiling and will my body into flesh. My every nerve is on fire, but they've given me no choice. I force drops of blood to trickle out of my nose but the boys below don't notice. I knock against the ceiling, but they won't even look up. I thought this place was supposed to be haunted, says the leader. What a joke. 
five minutes until midnight. I'm running out of time. With the last of my strength, I scream, so loud that they finally turn to look up at me. I like to think I put on a good show. I sway on an invisible noose, and the blood flows freely from my nostrils now. A couple of drops hit a skinny one with a crew cut. The boys scream and run into the night, just in time. Below me, I hear the thing turn, its disappointment palpable. For now, it sleeps, but one day, I will fail. The boys will be too brave, and I won't scare them out in time. One day, they will wake it. Well, I hope you have to enjoyed uh, our little podcasting and that your night has been hauntingly satisfying. <laughs> I wish you... I... Mm, 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 mm. Mm, my goodness. That was delicious. Thanks for having us for Halloween dinner. Oh, my pleasure. Did you make all of this? Well, yes. Uh, with a little help from Yulia Child, we're very close friends. The way you mixed all those non-complimentary spices together and made it work, it was a... Freak show of flavors. As you know, I take pride in my meals. I am not just trying to create something special. It's it's very curated and precise mesh. Scheisensparkle, das ist ein full moon out tonight. Oh, you would better to get the hell out of here. Get a big dish of beef chow mein. 